open your Bible to the book of Acts chapter 2, if you would. Been here for one year and something I do not get tired of saying as I've begun every single sermon with you is those words, open your Bible. It's so necessary that we do so. Acts 2, 1 through 13 is where we'll be today. And as I look out at you this morning, I think about so much that has been done over the course of the last months, several weeks to make and prepare all that is happening this weekend. The food has been prepared for our meal that is afterwards. The building has been spruced up. If you had been here over the, during one of the weekdays, you'd have seen some of our ladies with paintbrushes taking care of the walls, cleaning things that maybe hadn't been touched in years, but it's been ready for today. I am wearing a suit and tie, and wow, I did not expect that response. Um, it's not Christmas, it's not Easter, it's not a funeral, it's the 80th, and so we're here. Uh, so much work, as we've already mentioned several names, you've seen the excellent booklets, hopefully you've got a copy of that. Just love seeing the history of what has brought us to this point. One of the ways that you can tell that someone has begun to make a group that they may have been attending part of their own is that they switch from the third person to the first person. You know what I mean? For example, like with church, if someone's been attending for quite some time, or maybe, maybe a handful of weeks or months, they shift from saying their church or your church, and they start saying my church or our church. And I have found myself doing that over the course of this last year, speaking about Bethesda in the third person and then saying, this is our church, the Garza's church. Not in a sense of lording over, but saying we belong. This is, we are part of this. This is my church. And I have to say, there is one level where this is strange to say so because we've been here for one year and there were 79 years that came before. What gives me the right to say this is my church? In fact, you can actually broaden this question and say, you go back all the way to the beginning, the last two millennia, and say, what gives you and I the right to say that we are part of this communion of saints that have existed for 2,000 years? What is that binding glue that brings us all together? The saints throughout the corridors of time. I'm convinced, friends, that to answer this question, we have to go to the book of Acts to see how the story began. If you're a regular Bethesda person, uh, we'll be going through a series. What is the church over the next several months together? But we begin today. What a fitting day to begin. And so I'd like to read verse 1 through 4 of chapter 2. Here it is, and it's up on the screen. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. As we look back to the last 80 years, let's go far further to the beginning of the story. And as we do so, I believe that we will have a hope and a confidence and a trust for the future. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, as we have 
sung about coming before the throne room of grace. Lord, pour out your grace through your word to us today. Let us see clearly the effects of the gospel for how we are supposed to live as we look at what's before us. We love you and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Okay, let's get to work. Luke, in this narrative, gives really two major moves. We just read the first part. He tells what happens on this pivotal day, and then he's going to give the response that we'll look at here in just a little bit. Two different kinds of responses, mind you, that we'll see, that we have to pay attention to. And so he begins with those words where he says, on the day of Pentecost, been around for church any length of time, you've probably heard that term Pentecost, but I don't assume that all of us in here know what that word means. What is, what is Pentecost? Well, on the Jewish calendar in the first century, you would have had three festival days. And you would have had first the Passover, you would have had this one right here, Pentecost, these happen in the springtime. And then in the fall, you would have had the Feast of Tabernacles. And so, if you know the story, 50, 50 days prior, Jesus had celebrated the, the Last Supper or the Passover with his brothers, and in it he instituted the Lord's Supper and said, all this that the Exodus talked about, in which the lamb whose blood was spilled and put over the doorpost and the unleavened bread was taken, pointed ultimately to me, the spotless lamb who has come to take away the sin of the world. And so he fulfills it and says, this is the bread and this is the cup of the new covenant of my blood. The next day he dies on the cross, Friday, and on the third day he rises from the dead. That's what takes place right around Passover. Fifty days later, you have another feast where all the pilgrims uh, all over the world, Jewish people, would come to Jerusalem and the city would swell. And they would celebrate and acknowledge God's goodness for the cycles of the seasons and the fruitfulness of the earth. So if you're a farmer, you definitely would have appreciated, hopefully, this feast, depending on the year. Some commentators that I read spoke about how the city might have swelled to about a million people, potentially. And it's not hard for you and I to imagine how this is possible. What happens at the end of this month in Huron every single year? We have the South Dakota State Fair, Right? And so a city that is 14.5 thousand swells to over 200,000. Last year, if you don't know this, we had 192,000 people here during those few days. And so overnight, things just balloon, right? And that's what you have right here at Pentecost. And so they were on this day of Pentecost, and the passage says, Luke says, they were together in one place. Who is the they? It's the 120 disciples gathered in the upper room with the 12 disciples. If you go back to verse 13 of the previous chapter, you would have seen that they were all together. And Christ, before he had gone to his father, had said these words. He had said in verse 1, in verse 4 through 5 of chapter 1, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. In volume one, that would be Luke's gospel, he records the words of John in preparation for the Messiah and when he's baptized at the, baptizing at the Jordan. He says, I baptize with water, but he who is mightier than I is coming. This strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. 
He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And Jesus says, what John the Baptist spoke about is about to take place. Get ready and don't leave Jerusalem. And so they're gathered together in this upper room and the passage says that suddenly there came from heaven the same place that Jesus had ascended to but now comes down. We have a sound like a mighty, mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And you read that and you go, oh, Luke is tipping his hat, isn't he? The wind for which person of the Godhead it is. Why? For the attentive reader who reads his or her Bible, canonically, that is, holistically. This is the one who was hovering over the waters at creation. It is the counselor that Jesus spoke about four times in the farewell discourse of John 14 through 17, who teaches us the words of Jesus, who is sent to us by Christ, who guides us to truth, who glorifies the Son, who takes what is Jesus's and declares it to us. He takes the focus and he puts it on Christ and he shows you Jesus. He blesses every Christian with spiritual gifts, but even more importantly, he gives the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. It is not that he just gives gifts. It is that he conforms you into the image of the Son of God and redeems you. He is the one whose seal, when we receive it, when we believe, holds us in eternity forever. Ephesians 1, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. I did not start my salvation. I do not sustain my salvation. And I will not bring my salvation to completion. If I do not have this one who is like the wind in my life, I cannot start it and I cannot go all the way through to will to where I see my Savior face to face. He is the one who proceeds from the Father through the Son. And so as the Father who, as the Father who in eternity begets the Son, and as the Son who is begotten from the Father in eternity moved to history, the Father sends, and the Son is sent by the Father. You now have the one who in eternity spirates from the Father through the Son, and now is here to be in the presence in history of every single person who would call the name of Jesus Christ. Who is he? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, sharing the same divine nature with the Father and the Son, not a force, but a divine person. And this one like the wind arrives, and suddenly something like tongues of fire descend on each person. I love that because it's not just the 12 who get it. It is all 120. And if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you see it's all who call the name of Christ. The Spirit is not just for the so-called spiritually elite and leaders. He is for the regular Christian. He's not just for kings and prophets as in the Old Testament, but he is here to be poured out on all. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And so what John prophesied about and what Jesus said was about to take place happens. The baptism with the Spirit in this moment. You read the apostles, you read Paul in particular, and you see this unique moment where people are going from old covenant time to new covenant period 
that sets the tone for what takes place for you and I. That when we become Christians, 1 Corinthians 12, 13 speaks about how we were all baptized with one spirit into one body. I did not receive a little bit of the spirit when I believed. I got all of them. And I didn't earn any of it. Full, undeserved reception. And so you ask the question, what binds the person who's been a member of Bethesda for one minute to the person who's been around for decades? The answer is the spirit of the living God that is in me, that's also in you. It's what brings all of us together over the last 2,000 years as well. The passage goes on and it says, that they began to speak by the power of the Spirit in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Well, we spoke about the honeymoon period earlier, if you were with us, in the panel that we had, and that honeymoon eventually comes to an end. We now have a controversial word in front of us, tongues, or glossa, glossis in particular here, and perhaps the honeymoon period has come to an end with Aaron. What do we do with this word? I'm kidding. I hope. When these people begin speaking in glossa, what is in view? The word could be translated as tongues or languages. Let me ask the question, do we have in view here, as with some of our Pentecostal friends, uh, ecstatic utterances of syllables put together that are unintelligible? Is that what is in, is in view in this passage right here? Or is it languages that's in view here? I would submit to you that it's languages that is in view here. Why? because of what comes in the next paragraph. You gotta read what comes next. Context, context, context. Read what comes before and read what comes after. So you rightly divide the word of truth. Verse five, let's look together. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews. We look at the response. Devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these people who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene, and visitors from Rome. By the way, if you're not sure how to pronounce something in the Bible, say it confidently and people will go with it as you say it. <laughs> Verse 11, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. We hear them telling in our own glossa the mighty works of God. Go back to our fair illustration that we were talking about a while ago. I want you to imagine it's the state fair and you're there and you're getting some fair food. And to make it more interesting, let's imagine that you're Japanese, okay? And you hear behind you someone speaking a perfect dialect of Japanese, and you turn around and you see a, a taller white man standing in front of you speaking your mother tongue perfectly, what would you conclude? Possibly one of two things. You would go, that's that awesome missionary Tony Haug from Japan that Bethesda supports. That's why he can speak so well. Or more likely, you would go, this cannot be. How can someone from Beetle County speak my language so perfectly? 
How is it that I hear it in this way? And that's what you have here. People filled with the Spirit. Not something that's manufactured, but something God does in which people hear and respond in amazement. Jews from what would be from Iraq and Iran, Turkey, Rome, and North Africa in the modern world. And for a brief moment, what you have here, friends, is the undoing of the curse that began, began at Babel, at the Tower of Babel, where the people said, we will build a city and a tower, and God confused the languages, and they scattered throughout the world. And now you have, for a brief moment, people being unified and coming together. It is a foretaste of the gospel work that would come, that the nations of the earth, and not just the Jews, would come together. John talks about this. You read in Revelation 7, I've quoted this to you before. John says, after this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. Don't you long for the day when we are all gathered before the Lord and all the saints of Bethesda who have gone before us and have died and gone to glory and we are all singing glory to our Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lamb. And yet as we sing, we notice that there's other voices that are beginning to chime in. Puerto Ricans and Corinne, Mexican those who are white and those who are black from all corners of the earth. We're coming together, those of us who are believed, and we're crying out who our Lord is. And while you're wrapping your mind around that, the angels are there, the elders are there, four beasts are there. We're before the throne. Acts 2 is just a spark of what would come. And so for you and I who stand in the already of what has begun, in the tension of what has not yet been consummated. We have this gospel message, message that Christ has died, has resurrected, and if you believe in him, the spirit will come into your life, transform you, and you will no longer be a sinner, but clothed with the righteousness of Christ. And so when the father looks at you, he does not see your wickedness no longer, but he sees the righteousness of his son in your life. That is the message that we hold on to today. But how does this Passage end. I love it. Look at it. Verse 12. And they were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, What does this mean? But others mocking said they were filled with new wine. I love this. You know why I love this? Because it reminds me of the normalcy of Christian ministry that since hour one, there have been mockers and detractors to the work of God, God through the church. There's always been opposition from the beginning. And so if this is the way it was for the apostles, do not think it would be any different for you and I. It's inevitable that you will deal with opposition. Jesus says, in this world you will, not maybe, you will have tribulation. So stop being surprised at the trouble you face. But he also said, take heart. I have overcome the world. 
Our job, like the first believers, is not to manufacture results, but it is to be faithful to the ministry of proclaiming God's word and letting the Spirit do as he may. Success in ministry. And when I'm speaking, I'm not just talking about me. I'm talking about all of us in here. Success in ministry is not numbers and statistics, but faithfulness to proclaim the word and let God take care of the results. Our job is to be faithful in obedience. And so the Spirit comes in, makes a new people on day one of the church. And His presence in here is here. So it doesn't matter if you've been here for one minute, 80 years, or from the beginning. If you have the Spirit, you are a part of this thing that we call the church. I want to put a picture up on the screen, if we could. You saw this earlier in the slideshow. And I want you to take a look at it. I know it's a little bit dim, but what that sign says there are those words. Future home building site, Bethesda MB Church. It's right there on the corner of Frank and 15th. March 1966, this property was purchased with the intent of building a new sanctuary. As I've tried to be a student of my own church's history, as I love church history. Um, I've talked with older saints who were here during this time, and if you sit down with Palmer Holmes sometime, he'll say, that sat like that for years before this ever happened. And there were people who said, why would you purchase a property all the way out there? <laughs> You're never going to build on it. Why are you wasting your time? future home of Bethesda Church, and that was mocked. Well, here we are, <laughs> 50 years later. Something I've learned about Bethesda people is that they're resilient. There may be detractors along the way, but Bethesda people have pushed through barriers, barriers to be faithful to the mission of God that he wants accomplished right here. A vision is set and work is done and it's accomplished. These people at this time were not surprised by opposition or challenge, but went through in faithfulness. And it's a great example for us in our generation to heed what they have done as they came before us. I can tell you this, I would be tempted to say, that's it. Look at how great they were. But go a step further. And when you see what is here now versus what was here at one point, so many who were eyewitnesses to that. It is a testimony, not ultimately to resiliency of Bethesda people, but to faithfulness from a God who sustains from year to year. This is not guaranteed. But God has done a work and he continues to sustain us. I'll point something else out to you. Perhaps you haven't caught it yet, but I'll say it again more clearly. Understand that from this passage and everything that happens to the rest of the book of Acts, that God's intention for his church is that the gospel is meant to go to the ends of the earth. Jesus had said in Luke 24, repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. I'll give you another date. I'll give you 1966. I'll give you another one now. 1874. If you were in class I taught this summer, you heard a little bit about this. In 1874, a group of conservative Mennonite brethren known as Krimmer, or perhaps 
you know it as Crimean Mennonite brethren, gathered together and moved from Europe and came over to the States. They went from New York City to Elkhart, Indiana. They went to Kansas. And at some point, that group of 20 grew. They ended up planting nine Mennonite brethren churches. Some of those names, Salem, Bethel, Emmanuel, Ebenezer, and Bethesda. Many of these churches, I, have, I find this fascinating. I'm just adding this in. They were seen to be a pleasant, a pleasant alternative to the Hutterite option for the prairie people. It's just, that's what it was at the time. So somewhere in there, the decision is made to switch from German to English. In 1943, Bethesda Church is planted. And if you go to the library, you will see a little booklet. And in that booklet, a history of Bethel, it's our sister church, Bethel Mennonite Church, speaks about how this one was established. And according to the history, it says, in February 1943, 10 KMB members met to organize a church in Huron. The name was agreed to be Bethesda. In 1944, a building committee was authorized to buy lots, purchase a building, and put, it on, a new ba- put on a new basement located at Wisconsin and 4th Street. Reverend J.M. Cheddar was asked to lead the early services, and at least half of the 24 charter members were at one time members of Bethel. Cole Robinson, dear friend and current pastor at Bethel, um, when we met last fall, he was very specific to me to remind me that all of you guys exist because of us out at Bethel. <laughs> and you came, you came from us. And for Pastor Colt, I want to read in your own history what it says here. Here's what comes next. <clears throat> While Bethesda was not actually started or organized by Bethel, <laughs> how about them apples, right? Yet Bethel was greatly interested in their development and growth and in some measure encouraged or helped them on the way. So not officially, but definitely members from Bethel. 1960, Bethesda joined in with a general conference of USMBs. So the KMBs were assimilated. We've already talked about the building projects that happened in the 70s and in the 80s. And you put it all together whether it was moving from Europe to the States, whether it was moving from German to English for better discipleship, to plant a new church in Huron, join a new denomination, build new buildings, property, so more people could be discipled, all of it. At each step of the way from 1874 to 2023, those people were led by the Lord to be faithful to overcome all of the hurdles that were placed in their way. They may not have done it perfectly, but as was said before, the gates of hell do not prevail against God's church, and what you see this morning is evidence of that. It is a witness to resiliency. It is a witness to his faithfulness. And so if these are the hurdles that have been overcome, you and I now have to ask the question, what's the hurdles in our day that we have to overcome? There's a number of them, but I want to give you one as it relates to this text. Give you a little bit more facts here. In 2000, hear me, in 2000, 95% of Huron was white. 2010, that number dropped to 86%. What is it in 2023? 67% right here in this community. So dramatically over the course of especially the last 15 years, this community has 
changed. A conversation we had on the phone, Eldon and I, several months back, I said, what was it like to be here in the 90s, the 80s and the 90s? And Eldon said to me, Huron may have changed, but the ministry of the word does not. And so let me tell you the hurdle that I see in front of us, that we must begin to reach people who do not look like us in our community, that we make a concerted and organized effort. We put our money where our mouth is, specifically, be specific here, to reach Korean people and Hispanic people, those who have been refugees and immigrants who have come here and are on a collision course with hell, and we have the ability to do something about it. And this can be the moment. So many moments of transition that I just mentioned a moment ago. This one is our moment. Jesus said that his church was supposed to go to all the nations, and yet this is one of the most diverse cities in South Dakota. The nations have come here. And there's so many of them that don't know that Jesus can forgive them of their sins. So let me be abundantly clear with you if you're going to continue to have me be your pastor. I envision a day where because we are reaching our surrounding community, we are looking more like our surrounding community right here on Frank Avenue. I envision a day where we are singing great songs, not only in English, but also in other languages. And we're doing it right here from the stage where translation is offered during the service, and where grandma who might speak Spanish only can show up with her child who's bilingual and, who's, and has a grandchild who only speaks English. That's me, by the way. Garza, makes sense? I'm the grandchild. Okay, that's how that works. Grandfather Mexico. There you go. And they can all show up as a family unit, and ministry is offered for all of them. I envision a day where young people who are refugees or immigrants from their, from their home country will be the first generations of Christians because Bethesda people reach them and they were willing to present the Holy Spirit to them and what he can do in their lives. And as the Holy Spirit would come into these young people, they would be the ones who say the buck stops here and the addiction or whatever that came before stops here and because of a Bethesda person, for that person, the next five generations would know that Christ Jesus is Lord. This is our moment. Let us not waste it. Someone might say, how are you going to do that, Aaron? What's your master plan? And to be honest with you, I don't have a step-by-step strategy. If you get to know Wes more, you know I, I I usually come up with one at some point. But here's what I do know. The guys across the street who wear the, the white collared shirts and the black ties and ride on bicycles and preach a false gospel from Joseph Smith are being faithful to present their false gospel. And yet we have the true gospel of Jesus Christ who resurrected from the dead. And if we would but humble ourselves and get down and pray and say, Lord, we don't know how to do it, but speak, Lord. Your servants are listening and willing. I believe he can do a mighty work in us, and the evidence is that he already has up until this point through all who have come before us.
God, God is calling us to reach our community with the gospel. And so I want to end this morning, and I want to present to you two different kinds of pictures. And they are both of the 100th year anniversary service of Bethesda Church. Here's picture one. Picture one. A church that began now to be humble and obedient and say, no matter what the world does, we're trusting this and trusting our Lord and reaches and looks like its community and is vibrant at the, at the 100th year anniversary. Many of you will not be here for this, but there will be those of you who will be here for this and you will remember this hour and what we did here. Perhaps at that 100th year anniversary, there will be some young hotshot preacher who's putting up pictures and saying, remember what they did in 2023, right? That's one picture. Another one, a church that is a shell of its former self, like so many here in this community already. A shell of its former self because it, did not be it was not obedient to the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations. And a remnant is left, and they are talking about the good old days. Which way, church, do we go? I can be the one to shout and holler. You are the ones who move. So let us seize the moments and consider that God will do anything if he desires to, to make this possible in the life of his church. Acts 1.8 says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witness in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. How did that church move from Jerusalem, you may ask, to the ends of the earth? Read Acts 7 sometime, and you will see that they were scattered because of one word, suffering. Do not think that God is beyond using all means at his disposal to accomplish what he desires for his mission for the church ultimately. He may even use suffering to get his people to wake up and be faithful. And so I would ask you, if you are willing to say with me, Lord, speak, your servants are listening, and do whatever it takes. He may do whatever it takes. Are you ready for that? That's the question I have for us. So let us be humble. Let us submit before this word and before our Lord and say, God, with 10 KMB members, they laid a foundation. With the saints that came before us, they gave the growth. But Christ is the one who brings the fruit of salvation and will bring it to completion. Lord, if you would give us, Lord, as you have given us 80 years, let us be faithful to the next 80. As we look forward to how your word proclaimed will reach the nations. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening to Bethesda Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you would like to know more about Bethesda Church, you can find us online by visiting our website at www.bethesdahuron.com or you can find us on Facebook and YouTube at Bethesda Huron.